What's up, team? Welcome back to Mastery Mindset Podcast, a spot to get your mind right. Can't just train the body, got to train the mind. And I'm so pumped to have our guest on the show, Justin Sua. He is the head of mental performance with the Tampa Bay Rays. He's also the host of Increase Your Impact Podcast. Imagine this now. We've done almost 200 episodes. Justin has done 1,781. And Justin, your short form podcast was an inspiration back in 2018 for T-Money and I to do our podcast. So welcome to the show. Wow. I, I'm grateful to be here. And uh, yeah, 200 in the can, is a, that's quite a bit as well. But uh, yeah, happy. It was back in 2017. It, it, I tried to make a podcast. Somebody told me, they said, my podcast is a podcast for people that hate podcasts. And I was like, okay, we'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> well, you had that short form before TikTok even existed or, or Snapchat, I think. So you were on it ahead of the curve. And I guess if you're going to record every single day, um, might as well keep it short. And would you agree that your podcast is like your diary in, in a way of what you're learning, correct? hundred percent, hundred percent. A lot of, and the, the, the genesis behind it was I, at the moment, at the time I was with the Boston Red Sox as a mental performance, a mental skills coordinator. And we were, I was getting a lot of requests to work with youth athletes. And it was breaking my heart that I couldn't work with everybody. And uh, I was originally, a, I was a high school teacher for five years. And I thought, you know what, how could I help not be their mental performance coach, but how can I give them some of the things that I'm learning with professional athletes? You know what, let's start a podcast. I had no intention on going as long as I've been going. And I think we're, go, we're, at, we're almost, we're about to hit and I say we, but me, it's, it's me and my phone, uh, just, just recording my, my little phone uh, for about a minute a day. We're about to eclipse 10 million downloads. Um, and so it's mind blowing to me. But, but yeah, it's just there to help parents and youngsters learn some simple tools around mental skills, mental performance, uh, decision making, uh, process, uh, all that kind of stuff. Just some, something simple, but it's been a fun yeah. little journey. Yeah, I love that using all of um, our assets we have, whether it's our phone, podcasts, videos, live events, you know, Zoom, like we're doing now. Um, and the mission of Mastery Mindset is to transform lives and normalize mindset training. So mm -hmm. by get, making mindset work consumable, real world, not just academic, not this like ivory tower, esoteric high level, but like real world. And it's not just mental skills. It's like how you communicate, how you work together, how you overcome uh, challenges in your family, in your um, team at work. And I, I love, you know, your husband as a father, you kind of share some things, just life stuff, which is really, really cool. Um, but I was thinking about, you know, what should we talk about? Because I have a lot of things I would like to talk about. But one of the things that um, I want you to, to touch on, and I remember you said this years ago, uh, when you were either at, at IMG or I think you were in graduate school, about uh, you don't want to be the sage on the stage, but a guide on the side. Mm -hmm. How many times do people in our position make it about us? Where really it's about the person learning, correct? Right. I I learned that lesson from uh, from my supervisor when I was a high school teacher. Going back to that, I when you're a high school teacher, you have to get supervision hours. You have to watch how you teach and interact with the, with the, with the students. And I remember one session, I killed it. I, I killed it. The stories were on point. The activities were on point. The class was engaged. It was money. So I go to his office uh, as a young, cocky, arrogant. I think I was 21 or something like that. So I walk in and I sit down and he's like, how do you think it went? 
I said, I thought it went really well. I thought, and I gave all my list why. And uh, he goes, what grade would you give it? I was like, A, A minus, I killed it. And he goes, I'd give you a C. I was like, wait, what? Like just immediately I thought, wait, what do you mean a C? I, I just, just, I just killed that session, just dominated. And he, that's when he taught me that this powerful lesson. He goes, Justin, there are two types of teachers. There are mirror approach teachers and magnifying glass approach teachers. The mirror approach teacher is, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? They make it all about themselves. The magnifying glass approach teacher focuses on the students. What are they going to say? What questions am I going to ask where they can find their own answers? What stories are they going to share? And he goes, the mirror approach teacher is the sage on the stage. The magnifying glass is the guide on the side. And he helped me remember, he goes, Justin, you're not the hero. He goes, the students are the hero. They are the hero of their own journey. What I worry is that you are going to come off as this pompous uh, disseminator of knowledge that you know everything. He goes, respect the experience and expertise of these are kids. These are kids at the moment. And how, how much, how true is that for kids, but also for the people that we work with? And so to answer you, I think I, I agree. I agree. I think it's being more focused on, it's very easy to be a charismatic storyteller and, 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 and win people, win hearts and minds, but also that thin line is like helping them understand they're, they're the heroes, it's their experience. And, I, and I've learned quite a few times when you're working with professional elite athletes, they'll let you know right to your face. Like, no, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know our world. And so I've been humbled a few times uh, from people when I, when I start to get over to the sage on the stage uh, 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 kind of mindset, or especially early in my career. That's great. Well, can you give us an example? Maybe not any names or team, but like when you try to present, share information and it got received differently and they said, Hey, well, hold up now. You don't know yeah. this yeah, or this absolutely. or this. And then, and then maybe explain what you like learned from, from that. So there's a concept called the Dunning-Kruger effect, which essentially is the relationship between expertise or experience and your level of confidence. And what the Dunning-Kruger effect essentially states is the, the less experience and the less expertise you have, the more confident you are. How many times have we seen somebody so confident coming out of grad school that they know everything there is to know about the field or, or someone who watched a documentary on X subject and now they all of a sudden they're gurus in that just from a simple documentary. But what, the, what, the, what it ends up stating is the further along you go, you end up falling into this imposter syndrome. Even though you have more experience, you're less confident in your competence because you're like, wow, I don't know as much as I thought I knew. And then with more experience, your confidence is a little, more, a little bit more calibrated. When I was early in my career, I had the chance to work with in the military and work with military leaders uh, at the IMG Academy, as you mentioned, work with coaches who have been through the ringer. They've been there. They've been, done that. And a lot of times I, I, I come in the military, we learn this and I try to apply it to tennis coaches. Tennis coaches, you try to apply this to baseball coaches or to business professionals. And then, like you mentioned, these hands go up and they say, not necessarily. And then you take these theories that you learn, whether it be self-determination theory, you learn all of these concepts of, of, of environmental design and nudge theory, and you walk in and you have your plan. Here are five tips and six tools and seven steps. And here's my framework. You walk into a group full of of research uh, developers and engineers, and they shred it. They rip it to shreds. And I can't tell many experiences where I've presented and a hand goes up from a staff sergeant. He goes, that doesn't work here. And this is why. 
or you present this uh, example of this person and a hand goes up, well, that doesn't work here because of this. And when you get that over and over and over again, it causes you to pause and say, okay, wait a minute. Let me start to be a little bit more humble, not as, uh, not as emphatic about this approach and not even as dogmatic with my approach. You might have a sports psychology approach or maybe uh, behavioral economics explains a little bit better. Maybe decision science explains a little bit better. Maybe just the practice, throw the science away throw the model away because as the statement goes, all models are incorrect, some are useful. Uh, you just, here's the model to give us kind of a framework, let's poke holes in it and use what's best for us. And so over and over again, I have seen uh, research, uh, and I'm in the middle of a PhD right now in organizational psychology, and I, and I learned just, just to see how a lot of things that you learn in the lab doesn't stand up in, in in the arena of sport or business. However, it definitely you definitely want to use it as a foundation to inform decision-making and not necessarily be this, the singular source of information. But I, I can't tell you how many times I've, uh, I've been humbled. I love it. Well, let's just talk about being humbled and failure. I kind of have a, a two-layered uh, question. First, when you're coaching these high performers, this has to come up. Everyone has a different approach, has different needs. But if you were to coach me, Man, I just got my ass kicked today, or I'm I'm lacking confidence here, or and it could be acute, or it could be, you know, over a long stretch. Like any systems tools that you would you would teach there. So there, here's a number of different things I need to take into consideration. So for those who are listening, the easy thing would be to jump in and start answering. Oh, this, 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 this. Uh, to take a term or a concept from systems theory. You can't change the pattern of, pattern of a system without understanding the pattern of the system and understanding the different nodes and the different experiences. I, I don't know uh, why. I don't know you. I don't know what the situation is. I don't know uh, what you mean by that. We're going to have to talk about definitions. We're going to have to talk about your understanding as to why. We're going to talk about people you interacted with. We're going to talk about what you've done. How often do you experience it? What's the frequency? What's the intensity? What was the duration of it? Uh, we might. That might have solved it right there. You just saying that, okay, we're good to go. Um, and so there are a lot of different, how much time do we have together? Uh, am I doing this publicly in front of everyone to listen to? Or are we doing it behind the scenes? Am I going to be very careful what questions I'm going to ask you? Because I don't want uh, anyone listening, you to experience vulnerability hangover. And then all of a sudden we get up. So all of these things just went through my mind when you asked that question. And so I think step number one is to be able to understand the context and the and the nuances of the, of the situation. I think because of my experiences, I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll give you a very concrete example. We'll take on three separate occasions. I'll never forget this. On three separate occasions, I had three different athletes from two different sports ask me the same question in the same year. The question was, Justin, I'm really nervous. How do I quiet my mind? Player number one asked me this, and he was, it was before the game, and he's a veteran. He's meaning he's been doing this for a long time. He's in his late 30s, and he asked me the question, and I looked at him, and I said, you've been playing this game for a very long time. What, uh, what have you done up to this point? Have you experienced this? Have, he goes, yes, and he walked through his process, and he told me how he navigated this in the past. And I said, great. He ended up focusing on his breath. I said, well, have you done that? He goes, you know what? 
I haven't. I'm going to get back to my breath work. That's awesome. Thank you. I did nothing. I asked a couple of questions, nudged him back into what worked in the past. It was over. That conversation lasted about five minutes. About two months later, I'm standing on the sideline before kickoff. Cleveland Browns were playing against the Patriots. And a player comes up to me and goes, man, I'm, re- I'm really nervous. I'm really nervous. And he looks at – I said, okay. Uh, we picked a, a focal point in the stadium. I said, stare at it. Take one deep breath. Really focus on the exhale. He's like, oh, that was awesome. Thank you. Mind you, we've been doing breath work up to this point and to, 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 tra- uh, to be able to exercise, to activate the relaxation response. And so I didn't ask very many questions. We didn't have a lot of time. I actually gave him a tool in that moment. Three months, actually, no, early, actually before that, I skipped that. We were in the wild card playoff playing against the Oakland A's. 65,000 people. It was like a football game. It was a do or die game. You win, you move on, you lose, you go home. The energy, you usually don't get this until a game seven, but it was a one game playoff against the Oakland A's in Oakland. We're getting booed during batting practice. Player is in the hole, meaning we have about 45 seconds. He's about to walk up. Uh, He's about to go, hey, you go, Justin, I'm really nervous. What do I do to calm down? And I look at him and I just said, you're good, have fun. He's like, you're right. And he goes out there and he does his thing. Same question, completely different approach, completely different people. And those were the different things, uh, the different uh, variables that were going through my head in order to approach. And so when you ask that question, hey, I just had a bad day, how do you help? All of those things went into my mind. Um, I think it would have been, it's more beneficial to share with you my considerations rather than to come out and explore um, to, to answer how I would, how I would approach it. So, but those are all the things I would take into consideration. Yeah. Cause we have coaches listen to this podcast. We have uh, parents, we have leaders. Um, so uh, a, a common theme is uh, maybe not have a, a blanket uh, lesson, ask some questions, uh, fact find, get, get some um, uh, understanding on what's happening, how long it's been happening, what they haven't done in the past. I see a common theme of, of breathing might be, a great tool to, to not uh, forget to find your breath or find someone to visually look at. Um, what about when you're, when your kids struggling, you have three kids. Oh, and your, yeah. We got three kids. kids. Is, in, is in a, is in a, a profession. There's a lot of failure. So uh, it hurts when our kids fail, but that's how they grow. So as a, a mental skills, like expert guru, I mean, you're, you're known around the world probably for your work and then your child is struggling. How, how do you, how do you help help there? Yeah, I think I, I I put my because of the what we what we do and what I do, it's always informed. It, it's always running under the engine, so it's always part of the operating system. I was about to say, oh, you just you have to check your degrees and check your your mental performance, but it's always always I always view it through the lens when I'm talking to my kids. We we talk about it, we embrace it. I think one of the things that. Uh, my kids are probably listening to this as well Is we talk about failure all the time. We talk about how we fail as parents. We talk about their failures. What do we learn? Uh, we talk about how painful it is um, and to embrace it. To your point, you're absolutely right. I have, um, we have three kids and, and two of them have kind of have their, have a career, not kind of, they have their careers. One is an actor um, and uh, is going to be debuting in uh, a new Disney channel TV show. Uh, the other, he's a he's a he's a music producer and working with some of the top artists in the world, and they have failed quite a bit. And uh, but failure is a constant topic. But uh, love and and 
not wrapped up in identity. I think also it, it, their success, they've had a lot of success as well. And my daughter, she was on set. They got done with the scene. They just got done shooting a scene. All the cameras there, all the Disney execs there. She's the, she's the lead. She's, the, she's, she's one of the leads of the show. Uh, the show is named after her, her character. And so, um, and, and so it was all over. It was a big scene. Everyone was excited. We go back to the dressing room. And I looked at her and I remember I, I told her, I said, you, you don't, we can leave right now. You don't need this. You do still love this. Do you want to do this? And so I think part of framing failure is also framing success. And I do not, there are moments where I'm probably the worst parent. Like I, either I'm not the parent guru. I don't think I'm the best in the world. Fail quite a bit as a husband and as a father. But one thing we are very deliberate as is not tying their identity to their failures or their successes. Uh, They're loved. Like we love them. The re- through the ups, through the downs, and they're going to make mistakes. And so that's what we try to do, at least. That's what we, that's what we try to do. I might hang up and get some critical feedback uh, after this conversation. <laughs> I think what you're, what you're sharing, Justin, is uh, not attaching worth to the results, mm-hmm. as in getting your identity wrapped around the performance or what you think other people think, or I need to do this in order to feel loved and valued. Uh, yeah. Getting kids that space to 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 experiment, be curious, try, fail, grow, make it about them, their needs. I think so many parents, coaches, leaders get their their identity wrapped around what their child's doing, and therefore they put the extra pressure, and it's hard for everybody. But giving them a, a safe place to experiment, try, fail, I really love that. Let's now move into That's a, re- a can, failure. Can I can I, can I add on that really quick? You hit the nail on the head. One thing that one of the directors or producers for Disney t- did tell us about child actors is just like youth sports, uh, the parents could sometimes be the ones who derail a great team, get in the way. Same thing with children actors. Sometimes it's the parents that get in the way from, from something really flourishing and thriving. And you, you hit the nail on the head in terms of sometimes the parents want their child to be a star so bad. The parents want their child to, to make all this money that because the parent uh, it'll reflect because of the status for the parents. Because I have a child who's doing this, but that's a that's a really good point to be able to check our egos as parents and say no, and to even let the child know, hey, like your success or failure like won't diminish my love for you. Like I'm not trying to ride your cur- uh, coattails, and it's a that's a to be a tough conversation sometimes. But yeah, it's a, I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, and it's you know early in my career, I do a lot of these like club teams and these big like training facilities and all these youth, youth performers and I would make it mandatory that parents have to come to a session, like a group session, because mm. when I learned early on, I would coach the, the youth performer, Tanner, like when you're in sixth, seventh grade, he, he's a golfer. That's how we met you know, doing this work. Awesome. And I would, we would work on these skills of like gratitude and self-talk, how to visualize and value base, you know, how to respond to fear and failure, you know, um, process over outcome things. And then they would go home and the parents didn't hear these things. And it's like our, our son Baylor loves Legos. He'd build the Legos and our young daughter Memphis, when he's not looking, would just destroy it. Mm. So it's like we build these kids up with these tools and these this language and these skills of coping and, and self-identity. The parents don't have access to it. And then they, they praise the wrong things. They get on them for the wrong things. Mm. So it's like how many coaches, parents, how many coaches or mentors or managers or whatever have your kids had in their life? A lot. How many have you had to be the best parent you can be? Mm. So I, I think like it's that. just no, inviting, inviting parents, even of the college teams I work with. I say anytime, at least once a year, parents need to be in on a meeting. They have to see and hear 
what's most important, what we're going to evaluate, what we're going to teach. Uh, but let's transition now to the overall field of mental performance. Remember we talked on the phone a few months ago, we got into this like deep discussion, like how do you evaluate that this actually works? Because if, mm -hmm. if, if I'm a strength coach, you can do baseline. Here's how you know flexible they are. Here's their clean. Here's their vertical. Here's their zero to 60, you know, on the base path. Um, velocity as a pitcher, you know, maybe uh, 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 you know, as a hitter, there's all these metrics we look at. But the mind, like do we do pre and post psychology things that we can measure? Like how do we measure this stuff? Like maybe give us some insights on that. This is this is one of my favorite topics because it is so difficult and it, it's a pro difficult problem to solve. And you're going to have a lot of people who are very adamant on certain ways. And I'm I'm just try I'm more curious, approaching it with curiosity. And that's you hit the nail on the head. How do you quantify and measure? And we'll just say this: not just a not just a mental performance coach. Uh, how do you measure? How do you measure the effectiveness of a, of of a of a soccer coach? How do you, is it wins and losses? Like, is it, or is there too much noise in that system? Like how, how there's just a lot of, a lot of things. Uh, there's a lot of things. And so kind of, I went down a rabbit hole with that. Um, I, I, which a couple of ways to, to skin this cat. So I think four things in particular, four ways to identify. I think one of the keys is to try at least, at least try. And one thing that we have really benefited from with our department is having a data scientist, literally a PhD in math, in statistics, to be able to measure and uh, someone who to quantify, knowing obviously understanding that it's gonna be messy, you, you need a lot, large sample size, gonna be hard. And so it, for anyone out there who's gonna try to measure and quantify what they're doing, what if you're a solo practitioner, you don't have a data scientist, what are you gonna measure? And so one of the things that's important to understand is before the gold standard is, is predictive analytics, being able to have a robust data set and a, and a model to be able to predict or with, with, with some level of certainty how, how something is going to turn out. But before you get into predictive analytics, you need descriptive analytics. Now, descriptive analytics, that is filling analytics in the tank. That's getting a data set to be able to do something with it, to be able to run a regression or run some kind of model or run some kind of algorithm on it. If you don't have any descriptive analytics, then it's going to be very difficult. So what I would do is I would look at four things. If I'm a mental performance coach or any kind of whatever somebody calls himself, here are four ways of measuring. Number one is just to look at the basic uh basic descriptive data. For example, how many sessions did you teach? How many texts did you send out to somebody? How many conversations did you have? How long were those conversations? Did you reach out to them or did they reach out to you? And so those basic ground, just are, you, are they even using you? And, and are you the one, uh, is it proactive or reactive? Simple. What topics do you discuss? What tools do you always talk about? Those simple, tiny little things to be able to notice a pattern. That's it. Start there. And so we're not even getting into the analyzing and then moving. So that's just gather the data. Like, do you even know? That's level one. Level two you can do is measuring competency. How well do they know these concepts? Do they know when to use them? Do they know how to use them? Do they understand 
the neuroscience behind it? Do they under just literally like a high school teacher, like a high school teacher? Like, do they know the, the general psychoeducational concepts to it? On a scale of one to five, I knew it at this level. Now I know it at this level. You can say, okay, great. We, based on this data set, based on this objective, they, they took the test before meeting with me and they took this two minute test after. Wow, they understand it. They're ba- so that's number two. Number three is behavioral change. Are they doing or not doing something as a result of working with you? Before they worked with you, they never meditated. After working with you, they meditate four times a week. Before they worked with you, they never journaled. Now they journal. Before they work with you, whatever, something you can observably look and say, oh, wow, we are seeing behavior change. Before they worked with you, they would break clubs and throw their golf clubs. Tanner was throwing his clubs into the water. After working with you, he didn't. Wow, okay, let's measure that. How do we see it? And then last but not least, which is the most difficult, is leading to performance. Uh, Does your work actually improve performance? And that's where we're seeing it gets unbelievably messy and where I get frustrated with people who say, this is where I kind of get frustrated because I would never claim this. Oh, after working with me, he's a better hitter now. He hits, he's, he's batting 400 now because... I, I'm working with him now, or or the team is winning more mentally tough because I'm hired by the team. It's like, wait a minute, let's just pump the brakes. Let's not let's not uh, conflate causation and correlation. I might be helping half a percent, but what about this person and this person and this person? What about this person's work with the swing coach? What about this person's this? What about the experience? But at least you need to bake in other variables to you you we can't black and white say because i worked with justin now i'm doing this the player might say that and you you're grateful you're like okay that's awesome i appreciate that however there are all these other factors and these other things that were that came into it as well so if you're a solo practitioner i would say start with even the lowest level start with level number 1 just start there and just to take a look at it and just say okay this is this is an interesting data set and then you analyze it and then you analyze it. So once you gather it, then you analyze it. You take a look at patterns, you take a look at this, you take a look at that. And then based on that, you go and you update and then you start to build your work following that on the next iteration and the next iteration. And then you take, you just take your, your uh, collect data, you analyze it, update, collect data. What I have seen people struggle at with, they have their model. So when I first started, I remember I had the E3 model, endure, execute, and something else, like some other E, <laughs> E3. And I would just go and just teach it everywhere, and I would shove it down people's throats. This is back in 2008, and this was my model, my high-performance E3 model. It was cute. It was pithy. I had these cool stories around it. I, I don't know if it helped. Like I could have been teaching hogwash. Yes, it was empirically based, but with the people I was working with, I could have, it might not have been effective. I don't know. So why am I claiming that it is? Because I'm just feeling it is now. Also, we also have, we have people like, Justin, you're helping me so much. It's great. I can't, I push back on that too, where people are like, oh, Justin, you helped me so much. Or did I really, like, did I really? Or is it that you, we have a friendship that you like me? I'll, I'll, I'll push back on it and say, mm. when we made to the World Series, 
uh, I, I, somebody says, oh, wow, you're the mental skills coach for the World Series. Uh, they're mentally tough because of you. And I was the first one to say, I was also the mental skills coach for the 0-16 uh, Cleveland Browns. Like, don't, like, I'm the same guy. Don't put too much on, like, uh, stock into this because as practitioners, we can't fall for survivorship bias. All of a sudden, people are winning, and wow, it's because of this. There may be other teams who didn't win. Maybe the winning team won despite their process, in spite of what they were doing. There may be some teams who didn't win necessarily who have a better process. Maybe they, they just didn't lose for other factors. Um, and, and so I, I'm, not, I'm not sold on um, – yeah, so there, there's so much. And again, I – I just want to learn, just, just, just trying to learn and update. Yeah. And I am more critical of myself than anyone can be. Like uh, we just looked and w- looked at our data as well. It's like, okay, like, let's get better. We have to get better. Like, and um, the data will tell us if we're, we're full of it or, or if we're not getting any signal, but it takes a lot of sample size. I can just staying humble with it. Okay. So I, I hear you hundred percent, but there should be some foundational teaching that every human probably needs as a performer. And then you would customize based off of where they're at. Is that fair? Like, I agree with you hundred percent. You can't just, everyone, it's kind of like, everyone's going to hit this way. If you're six, four, 225, or if you're five, seven speedy, we're going to teach the exact same backload, exact same. No, you don't do that. You have to customize it to their skills and to their needs. But if you were to like, um, as we kind of wrap up, what is something everyone can use? What's we call it mental skill or, high performance strategy to execute when the pressure is on or when actually no one's watching. Sometimes people can't, can't perform in that environment either. You know, so are you talking about a tool mentioned breathing or just a tool, just anything. Cause again, we're addressing a large audience in this podcast. So, and I have you, I have you on the line. And and if you ask me the same question, I would give you a few things. Yeah. Debrief. Just, just something that anybody like, I I think essentially anybody could use this tool or this, strategy or, or be aware of it. Yes. Yeah, that's my answer. I just gave my, the debrief, the post performance okay. okay. reflection is my answer. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That, that's something that no matter who you are, where you are, uh, research studies are showing and in the military is called the after action review to be able to take your experience to pause and to reflect on it. What did I do? Well, what did I learn? How am I going to do better next time? That singular practice can help you just improve so much. Just debrief, pause after this podcast. I can just pause and say, okay, how did it go? Well, where did I fumble? What can I do better? Just pause and debrief. Teams could do it. Leadership teams could do it. Doesn't have to be in, doesn't be formal. Doesn't be long. Okay. How did it go? Boom, boom, boom. What are we going to do better next time? I can't tell you how many players started doing that and it ended up optimizing decision-making. They uh, gave them a sense of control. They were able to be a little bit more uh, open and be more positive. And also they just became better sponges instead of letting that experience just kind of float by. Yeah, I would say the, the, the mothers of all mental skills is awareness and perspective. So having tools of awareness of state, um, being competent, um, response, philosophy, values, habits, routines, and then perspective. How do I see things around me? Failure, challenge, success, you know, what people are doing, how we, how we communicate. T-Money, anything 
We got Justin Sue on the show, man. Hmm. <clears throat> I really, oh, you covered it. Um, let's see. Yeah, I like that that debrief. What's your what what's your style of um like journaling that works for you that you found works for you because kind of I don't know, Colin teaches one way, other people teach other way. For you when you're journaling, I know you kind of said your podcast is almost what you use as your journal, but what have you found is the style of journaling that works for you? So for me, it's a couple, I kind of, it's, it's more eclectic. And so on, for me, I'm on my phone. I have my phone and every day, like January 7th, and I'll just go, if I listen mm -hmm. to something, if I learn something, boom, I'll just jot a note down. I'll just jot a, jot a quick mm -hmm. note. They're just quick little bullet points, notes, notes, and then I'll go and I'll review them and I'll use them. That for me, that's what it is for me. I, when mm -hmm. I read a book, when I have a book and I read, I have a black notebook and I'll just start writing, um, handwriting. I don't like to type. I like to handwrite because whenever I, for me, whenever I handwrite, I remember it more and I'll stare at it and I'll just kind of let my mind, my pen just kind of go. When I read books, I try to absorb the concepts myself. And so I have my book reading journal, my, my cons consumption journal. Mm -hmm. So I consume to create so I can take this and make it in my own. And then I have my everyday Oh, that's a great thought. Wow, Colin, I like how you just mentioned that. I'm going to get on this and I'm going to start typing and punching this in on uh, on things that I learned from people. That's really good. Love it. Well, uh, Justin, I really loved our time together. If there is one last thing I can ask uh, on the spot, this was not pre-planned, favorite, or a, aside from your podcast, what's a podcast we should check out aside from yours? What's a, a book that's really been powerful for you recently? And if there's a, a thought leader that you've been watching, you've been and I'm, I'm learning from this person. So podcast book. Yeah. And yeah. Person. So I'll go back. So the, the thought leader is Eduardo Salas. He's a eminent uh, organizational psychologist. Uh, he's helping put NASA astronauts into Mars. Um, and he's a team effectiveness specialist. Very, very um, great teacher, but he's super into the research. I've just been devouring his journal articles. He doesn't write pop stuff or he doesn't have a he might have a book, he might, but he very, I've been loving his stuff and kind of it's part of my dissertation as well. So I've just been falling in love with his stuff. Um, podcast. So I'm really interesting. So in terms of, in, I mean, that's sound, sounded weird, but I don't have one singular podcast that I like. I will pick a person. I'll pick a person who's interesting, like Eduardo Salas. And I will go and listen to his, I will devour for two weeks every podcast episode he interview that he does. I just got done with uh, Amy Edmondson and I that hundreds, hundreds, I mean, not hundreds, that's exaggerating, but over and over and listen all, to, to hear her say over and all the, the little differences on the different podcasts. She says it this way on the sales podcast. She says it this way on the sports podcast. She says it, but so I will pick a concept that I want to learn about. I will find the eminent, the eminent researcher who or a fascinating person and then i would just completely follow them everywhere they go so i could take it and make it mine so i don't but my favorite pot i mean one who i really like is i like shane Parrish, the knowledge project um that's if i were to pick that's one that's one i listen to quite often and um and a research and um so yeah book. the researcher oh the so book. we got eduardo salas we got Shane Parrish knowledge podcast. No, yeah, no, Shane no Parrish book. and knowledge pod, podcast, and the book is um, I would this say so volumes one, two, and three of um, 
uh, the Great Book of Mental Models, Volumes 1, 2, and 3. Uh, volume 1 is my favorite, but uh, the Great Book of Mental Models. Okay, man, do you, got, do you have any, any questions for me before we wrap up? I got to go in like two minutes. Why are you doing this podcast? Oh, actually, no, no, no. I check it, check it, check it. What's something in the field, in the space of mental performance that you used to believe, but you no longer believe? I think kind of what, what you expressed earlier, it's really not about us. It's about them. Like us going in, just, you know, working with a team or a, a sales organization or a bunch of leaders, like we're just going to come in and just, it's all about us. It's not, it's about them. It's about um, listening. It's more listening question asking than like telling. Because I have my pillars. I've written seven books. I have journals. Like I have all that stuff, but that doesn't matter if they need something different at that point, that time. And they're a way better coach than I am for themselves if you ask them the right questions and just um, guide them a little bit. So I think it's more just being in, in presence, being in proximity, and less about I'm going to just blow your world up because I'm so awesome. Mm, I love that. Thanks for sharing, yeah. brother. Yeah, you too. Well, we can talk for hours, but I got to jump. T-Money, thank you. Uh, Justin Stua, everybody, uh, where, where can we find you? Aside from your Increase Your, your Impact podcast, and you, you got some good stuff on IG too. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, Justin Sua, J-U-S-T-A-N-S-E-U-A. You can find me uh, on any of the social media. Yep. Good stuff, man. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, best is ahead. Thank you, and uh, we, we believe this truth. Every episode, we end with this fact. The body has limits. But the mind is limitless.